Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Nest on Clubhouse. My name is Jim Chu, and I'm in San Francisco, California, where it's cold and foggy. And I'm the CEO of Untapped Global. Uh, at Untapped, our goal is to connect international investors with entrepreneurs in high growth frontier markets, including those in Africa and Asia. We host monthly discussions on Clubhouse about entrepreneurship and investing, like the one uh, today. Uh, as well as pitch sessions with startups and investors from around the world, also every month. You can find out more and follow us on Untapped Global on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you can join our WhatsApp community by going to untapped-global.com and clicking on Engage. Uh, we also started an Instagram page this week. Yes, we're trying to be young and cool, uh, which is impossible for me, but the rest of the Untapped team are. Uh, you can follow us there at untapped-global and let us know how it goes. And you can also find all of those links um, through a link tree on my profile. Well, today we have the pleasure of hosting three giants from the Africa tech ecosystem. Um, this is the first of our new series called How Africa Built This, where we explore the stories behind some of the continent's groundbreaking entrepreneurs and companies. This month, we're focusing on tech startups developing Africa-wide solutions and global markets. Um, and we asked our audience, what can we learn from Africa's tech unicorns? So I have the pleasure of welcoming our panelists today, Melvin Lubuga, uh, Lubega, sorry, uh, CEO of Go One, which is South Africa's first unicorn. Um, hi, Melvin, welcome. No, thank you very much. I'm really glad to be part of this conversation. And we also have Toyin uh, Bojomo, uh, the CEO of Baby Bliss, a rising Nigerian e-commerce company. Hi, Welcome, Bajoma. Hi, Jim. Nice to be here. And we also have Falgu Shah from Paystack, which was recently acquired by Stripe. Hi, Falgu. Hey, Jim. Hey, everyone. Great to be here. So we're going to hear from all of you guys in a second. Uh, and in the second half of the hour, we open the conversation to the audience for question and insights. So raise your hand. We'll get you on stage with your insights and questions. And finally, before we get started, I should note that this conversation is being live streamed and recorded. So if you have friends who would appreciate the discussion are not on Clubhouse, they can find us on LinkedIn under Untapped Global and listen in and comment in real time. We'll do our best to read relevant comments and questions we see in the chat. And if they miss it uh, or anyone else, they can find this chat and past discussions on our podcast at anchor.fm slash Global. All right, well, on to our panelists. Uh, for intros. Uh, Melvin, would you like to start first? Yeah, no, happy to do so. Um, Melvin Lebega, um, Ugandan by origin, uh, grew up in South Africa. Um, I guess young African passionate about solving significant problems with technology. Um, our business go one, ultimately exists to unlock a positive potential through a love for learning. And just to simplify what we do, essentially we built out what can be considered as a Netflix or corporate training where we aggregate over 100,000 learning items into one subscription and platform and offer that in, in over 20 countries. Fabulous, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And over to you, Falgu. Hi everyone, um, Falgu Shah. Um, my family's originally from uh, Kenya. My mom grew up in Uganda, so the connection there. Um, but me myself uh, spent time between London and, and Nairobi growing up. Um, at Paystack, um, where I'm leading expansion and, and business operations, uh, very simply, we let businesses of any size um, and 60,000 to date accept payments for their products and services online through a variety of methods, including debit and credit cards, bank transfers, mobile money, QR codes, just to name a few. Um, today, we're live in Nigeria, Ghana, and South Africa, and we have plans to expand further across the continent over the next few years. Thank you very much, Falgu. Over to you, Toyin. Hi, everyone. So I'm Toyin Bajamo. Um, I am Nigerian. Um, well, Nigerian, born and raised in Lagos. I spent quite a number of years living out in London. Um, working as an investment banker before returning back to help build the African continent. Um, so I'm really excited about, you know, making my life look as similarly in Lagos as it does in London, um, which, which is not always the case. <laughs> 
which is not always the case, but I am basically the CEO of a company called Baby Bliss. Um, we're currently um, operational in Nigeria and Kenya, and we're trying to build Africa's number one mother and child care platform. And what our platform basically does is it allows mothers to come on board and find products and services that are relevant to their needs. It also enables them to form um, communities and access sort of relevant localized content. So it's, it's really very specific to the African content. So that's what we're doing. So, so going along the theme of uh, this week's chat, um, all of you guys are in multiple markets within Africa. Um, it's great to hear that you're in both East and West Africa, Tillian, and uh, Falgu that uh, um, Paystack is, is expanding uh, in a number of different countries all throughout Africa. I'd uh, love to hear from all, all three of you on how you chose some of the markets you're, you're targeting. And what are your long-term expansion plans? And do that, does that include outside of Africa? Um, Falgo, do you want to start us off? I feel like from your vantage point, you have a, a good view on that. Uh, sure, happy to. Um, so I guess we can take the journey of Paystack back to 2016. The company was founded by two Nigerians, Shola Akinlade and Ezra Olubi. And uh, that year, Paystack was the first uh, Nigerian company to be accepted to Y Combinator. Um, over the last five years, um, they have you know, built a very robust and reliable payment acceptance platform. Um, and I think one of the keys to success there is building extremely strong partnerships within Nigeria, which was country number one. Um, so we partnered there with all the major banks, um, with the real-time payments infrastructure, with the telcos, and we've you know, I like to claim the most reliable product in Nigeria. And going from that experience, um, we have recently launched in South Africa a few months ago, again, looking to build that same kind of reliability and go very, very deep. I think sometimes there's a, a trade-off uh, that companies can make between, you know, launching countries uh, just with a bare bones product and not paying it uh, too much uh, attention um versus trying to like really build from the ground up um have teams based locally um and go very very deep and that's what we want to do is understand our customers pain points and solve the problems with local stakeholders um like the financial partners uh, the regulators so that we as paystack can you know undergo our mission which is to enable the inter internet economy to scale locally so having said that, um, yeah, we're live in Ghana and, and South Africa, which we see as two of the most kind of high growth developing internet markets. Um, so from our vantage point, we're really looking for the next crop of um, countries outside of Nigeria, where there is a growing internet economy, where there are merchants who are looking to go online, build internet-based businesses, um, or build fintech businesses on top of ours. Um, so our expansion plans for this year, um, we're looking to, to expand in a kind of hub type model. We see countries where entrepreneurship is booming out of, say, one country from a, a regional perspective. Um, so for this year, we're concentrating on Kenya out of East Africa and also Egypt uh, out of North Africa, where we see mm -hmm. a lot of activity on the entrepreneurship side um, and, 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 yeah, take it from there. It's a big challenge because especially in the fintech world, you're really facing 54 different markets from a regulatory perspective, um, from a, you know, how, how the infrastructure is set up locally. So we have to make, you know, we have to make our bets carefully. Um, I think we are very kind of concerned and focused and pay attention to what's feasible. Uh, and we know that we can't just be everywhere overnight. So that's interesting. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the top markets, obviously, uh, you know, Egypt, uh, Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, um, and also Ghana, which is growing very quickly. You know, a lot of these countries already have quite stiff competition in, in terms of um, fintech companies and, and payment providers already in there. How do you see yourselves stacking up against some of them, and how do you um, how do you uh, you know how do you compete against the local players? as a pan-regional company? Sure, um, no, it's a good question and one that we really have to think deeply and hard about every time we, we think about new markets. 
um like there's there's competition everywhere but i think our our the crux of paystack really is that we have built this very re reliable very robust platform and merchants really trust that and they trust the brand um, and that's been extremely powerful for us even as we enter new markets like egypt where there might not be a, a natural association between a nigerian company and an egyptian company but we've been you know shocked by the fact that the services that we've provided in nigeria have gone noticed by merchants in egypt so there's certain features like subscription billing that just don't exist in that market or where you know fraud capabilities are, are lacking or where dashboards aren't as good as they could be and people have seen our solution in action in other parts um, and and know what we can do and so having built an extremely strong product um, you know for, from both an engineering and a design perspective um, we feel confident that we can place ourselves um, you know very well within these markets from that perspective there's a long way to go still um, we position ourselves as, as um, you know, the, the go-to choice for developers. And given that African continent is developing their developer communities very strongly, very locally, um, our, our name is out there already from that perspective. Um, but you're right, there is a lot of competition and we have a lot of work to do to differentiate ourselves. Thank you for that thorough answer. Melvin, love to yeah. um, hear from you. Yeah, and so it's interesting building on that wave. I think about our product. Um, it isn't as, let's say, country-specific as, let's say, for example, payment regulation. But the interesting thing for us was it was actually our customers that informed our expansion trajectory, at least for a long period of time. Um, I'd say probably until we got to about CVC. And then thereafter, we then were more, a bit more proactive in terms of the, the, the actual geographies you double down and obviously as product expansion within different verticals and so forth. But the reference on our journey fairly early on, I remember we launched our website and we got an inquiry from Mexico. And now this is fully understand we had nothing um, in our platform in Spanish at all. And, you know, just going through, realizing with tech where your storefront is international. And so you can't even limit where you may go, but you can also be intentional about where you invest. And so, Definitely for us now, um, thinking through what are the next markets for us, um, just because we have mm -hmm. teams out of nine markets, but service clients and then over 20. And so for us, it's then thinking through how do we either change our go-to-market, our product for the market. So for example, what we found, let's say, you know, launching in Africa, you know, there's a big focus in education space on certifications. So, I mean, when we, you know, our clients have in Nigeria, even in South Africa, Kenya, Uganda, same thing, where they're very big on I do a course, I want to get a certificate or some form of certification. Whereas you find in the US, even like Australia, it's almost like, look, it's almost um, on the job learning as long as I get the skill, I'm less concerned about the certificate. And so it's more so those nuances, which I quite like in our space because some of those hold across geographies. That being said though, the reality is if you're doing something like anti-money laundering training in our space, it is unique to geography by and large. And so there are some nuances, but these days to your question more directly, what informs the markets we're, we're targeting is almost proximity to our existing markets and where we can grow through our clients, our partners, but also more importantly, where the size of the price is the largest. And that's why for us, um, so we did well, Y Combinator as well, similar to Paystack as well. And we were very intentional about making a play for the US market because in corporate training, that is the world's biggest market at this point in time. And so you can go to the US and be a market capturer, whereas in let's say many African countries, you almost end up being a market maker and sometimes pay higher to make that market. So that's a great, um, great point around going to the US markets because oftentimes we think about adjacent markets, whether that's geographically adjacent or markets that have a similar economic profile. But it's interesting to hear from your perspective of going into a very different market from your original, which is um, the US. Uh, all that said, um, you know, what I find interesting about the South African market is that you do have a dual economy there in the sense that you have both a developed and developing market. And so I, I wonder if there is uh, an interesting opportunity for South African companies who do understand and can play on both sides, um, bridge the gap between developed and developing. So, uh, is that something that you're, you guys are thinking about or looking to do, or is that something that um, is irrelevant to your business model. No, and look, 100% relevant. I mean, in the early days, and I mean, look, we paid school fees on the way there, but I mean, we used to have guys outside the US doing night shifts selling into the US, but there's something to be said around, you know, 
having the familiarity of accent, being available for support in their time zone. And, and, and as you scale, it gets easier to do that. But definitely, look, now we have two offices in the US. But I think when we started out, we literally used to have a night shift sales team that used to literally stay up at night and send to the US. And so you do find that there are a number of companies using Africa as a, I'd say a place to find product market fit at, and as a first instance. And I mean, and I think about like over, I think about WooCommerce, I guess get smarter to some extent. And all of them have done fairly well in terms of their trajectory, in terms of the valuation in their companies. And so I think there actually is some form of arbitrage in doing that because the reality is that your costs, I mean, I, I mean, so we did Y Combinator and I remember looking at, you really should hire developers in the US and the cost of a developer uh, compared to the markets we're in is significant. Um, and so you actually are able to, if you're able to localize and go really strong on localization to some extent, almost have the ability to play and pivot um, and then use the expertise to then go global into those more competitive markets. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a big believer in that investment thesis of uh, African companies um, in particular, South African companies who um, uh, have targeted uh, uh, customers in, in developed markets, such as those in the U.S., and um, and, and banking on this arbitrage between um, a lower cost base yet very well informed about developed market use cases, going into and um, and disrupting uh, developed uh, you know competitors in developed markets. So, uh, in fact, the session that you joined us at uh, in Cape Town in May. Uh, the, the showcase that we hold um, specifically to bring U.S. investors to uh, South Africa and show them those couple opportunities. So yes, I, I'm, I'm very keen to hear more, not only from you, Melvin, but also from other companies that are really taking their African businesses and going to developed markets, in particular the U.S. Great. Uh, thanks for that, Melvin. Um, Toyin, uh, with Baby Bliss, uh, I'm curious to hear uh, how you decided to start in two markets, or did you know how did you go? Did you start in one market in Nigeria and then move to Kenya, um, or did you? How, how did you decide to attack yeah. those two markets? So, so our our case is actually um, a bit of a unique story because our presence in two markets was actually it came up, it came about a merger, um, you, because you know this problem I said is something that exists. The problem that we're trying to solve um, and the, the the niche sort of we're focused on is something that really exists in most of in in the whole of Africa. So we merged with a company that was doing so. So our traditional focus is Baby Bliss, and we started off, you know, we started off the the, the founder of Baby Bliss started ten years ago trading baby products out of the boot of her car. So it's one of those kind of stories, right. um, and the business sort of remained sort of in that kind of state for quite a few years before we really picked it up and began to digitalize it and formalize it um, and bring it basically up to um, you know 21st century standards um, and we we were really focused on the products but in Kenya there was a business called or there is a business called um, Mom's Village which was focused more on sort of the content side because you know there are so many gaps <laughs> sort of in the space and right, they were right. focused sort of on the content and on the community side um, and then they recently started looking at um, e-commerce as a way of, you know, it, it's a natural progression, right? You bring all the women together, you're, you're within the community, you're sharing pain points, you're both striving to reach, um, you know, to, to access the same products. And then you say, you know, let's start a store to actually be able to, you know, facilitate that access. So they were on the cusp of doing that when the conversation came about. And we said, you know what, why try and build you know, why try and build the same thing um, in several markets? Why don't we just sort of come together, um, capitalize on our strengths and try and build something um, that works um, across both markets? And once we're sure that it's, it's uh, you know, it works for Nigeria, works for Kenya, um, then we can actually take it to Ghana. We can take it to sort of all the other markets that are parallel to us. Um, so, so it's a little bit of a different story, um, but it's, it's been so interesting um, just seeing the, you know, just seeing how similar it can be, um, you know, sort of within two completely different countries. Yeah, it's interesting that you guys expanded to those different markets through a merger. Mm -hmm. How do you expect to continue that um, for other markets or are you um, looking to expand through mergers? Well, well, we're open, you know, we're open. I think 
you know, we've tried it, it's worked. Um, you know, I think in certain markets, it may not necessarily be a merger as much as, a, well, you know, as much as an acquisition, um, if, if we get to the level or if we get to the scale that we're, you know, or when we get to the scale that we're hoping to get to. Um, but it's really, you know, building, building this thing that is unique, building this thing that is serves the African mother, um, and then just going into the markets. I said Ghana is one of the one of the ones that we have sort of in our, uh, you know, line of sight once we've conquered Kenya and Nigeria, because there's still quite, um, we're still fairly early on in our journey. So there's actually still quite a lot of work to be done, um, sort of within those countries that we're currently in. Um, but really just taking it step by step to the markets that make the most sense and um, where the needs where where the needs are the needs are the same but where sort of like the structures the fragmenta fragmentalization the you know sort of lack of access to authentic products or verified services you know like the problem statement remains the same um, and then we'll take it from there and, and where do you see that where 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 are your top markets if you're willing or uh, open to disclose that so 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 next up next up will be ghana um i think um that's probably okay. as far as we've gotten um next up will be ghana um you know it's 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 yeah <laughs> it's sort of the one in line um but but for us it's you know sort of within the next two years it will be it will be a, a, a more solid presence in Nigeria, be a more solid presence in Kenya, um, including so in Kenya currently we have e-commerce, we have community, um, but we don't have the physical stores yet, which we think is actually quite important to our business. Um, so we'll be sort of ruling that out and then taking that into Ghana, and then potentially to you know sort of within our side of the world. Very interesting. So we're hearing Ghana twice in this conversation with both you, uh, and, and also with uh, Fongu uh, from Paystack. Uh, you know, I'm curious, uh, switching conversations or topics a tiny bit um, to the investment side. Um, you know, obviously, Paystack, uh, you guys have been acquired by, by Stripe. Um, but uh, my colleague Fiona Anjagi had pulled a great quote from Prosper Africa that um, Prosper Africa, the U.S. initiative to increase trade and investment between the U.S. and Africa is working with Baby Bliss to find investors in the U.S. who see the same opportunities and want to be part of the company's growth. So two questions, do you see a lot of uh, investor interest from outside of Africa, uh, in particular the US? And second, do they understand your markets, number one? And are they interested in taking your model to other markets? And that's a question for both Toyin and for Melvin, as well as for Falgu, of course. Toyin, do you want to start off? Yes. Um, so, so again, we're, I, I do, uh, you know, I do, I do always have to say we're still sort of very early on sort of with our, with our um, raise. Um, so, so the discussion so far, we have had really good engagement with Prosper Africa. They've been very useful. Well, it's been, it's been very useful at getting in front of um, the investors in terms of um, traction there. I think it's still a little bit slow um you know at least based on what's what what we're open to get out of it um but we are having conversations with a lot of investors outside of nigeria and outside outside of africa but investors that already um sort of understand our niche you know because we're not you know there's like the you know there I and mean, it's, it's great we have paystack on here but there's like the headline sexy um you know fintech space and you know that's you know that's what everyone is talking about that's what's in the press fintech what... i'm sorry what's that <laughs> there's no fintech in nigeria is there? No. that's you know that's what everyone is you know you, you look at your product and you're like should i start you know should i somehow combine this to make it more um you know but there, there's really a lot of innovation that needs to be done there's just so much work that needs to be done so so for us it's really you know the the, the traction that we've got is with people that sort of understand our space they've you know they've done they've they you know they they know sort of how big sort of e-commerce is they know the mommy and baby space they know that parents will spend you know an obscene amount on their children they know that there is an option you know there's a there's an opportunity around there so it's so it's really more sort of specific um as opposed to something that has like a broad appeal um so that that's sort of our own unique position no thanks for that clarification um, melvin yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting one and i mean it's something which I, I often reflect on because what actually drives a VC to ultimately invest, or any investor for that matter, and I find many of the Silicon Valley investors 
You know, everyone can tell a story of how they missed Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or Uber. Like everyone's got that, you know, I saw the deck, but I didn't go through it or something of that nature. <laughs> and so I think what you're seeing now, what's really exciting about the continent is you're starting to hear those stories of African, um, like literally like of African, of African, of African businesses. And so from this purpose, the key thing is this great activity because there's more FOMO coming through. And I think people don't necessarily need to understand the market to appreciate the compelling nature of the businesses being built in those markets. And I think it's often where, for example, one would have said, you know, okay, so Paystack is Stripe for Africa, or this is this for that, and that's for that. And even though it does a disservice to the to sometimes the nuance and the elements of the startups, but even framing it in that particular lens therefore makes it more attractive. And I think of our early raises where, you know, you speak to a hundred investors, no one wants to lead the round and, 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 and you're literally like trying to meet a hundred to only close three. Whereas as you've grown and proven out the model, I mean, our last round now was led by a soft bank. We've got Salesforce Ventures in, for, including follow-on from Microsoft and a few others on our cap table. And I think now, because you've proven that market, now it's almost, now you have to beat away the investors in terms of that. And I think we're very fortunate to have proven it out, but I definitely find that international investors are seeing more benefit in Africa now. What is funny though is I'm seeing not necessarily as much US interest, but you're seeing, um, other frontier markets, seeing lots of like Asian, Asian high net worths or early stage funds coming into the market, um, seeing some from Israel, some from the UK. Um, yet one would almost argue if you are a US investor who's grew up where many of the big titans that many of the businesses have analogous models to, you have so much value to add to these businesses. Because think about an early yeah. stage business. Often the caliber of investors you have is so important because ultimately that's where those are your advisors, those are people you're going to go to. Yes, and later on, they've got a board, advisory board, they've got all these fancy things. But early on, I think there's almost a bit of an arbitrage. People probably have the skills to add value to businesses, but they're honestly taking the time to immerse themselves in the markets where their skills are most valuable. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's valuable to, to have is that connection to U.S. capital markets, right? Uh, even if the advisor um, you know, may not be giving a tremendous amount of advice on the operating business, the simple connection to not just the VCs, but also to potential customers and other strategic investors and so on. Uh, you know, let, let's be honest, the US is one of the most dynamic and certainly the, one of the largest capital markets out there. And being well connected to that is helpful for, for any company, whether you're African or American. So I can imagine uh, simply having uh, some US investors on board um, help as a bridge, if you will, to connect with the U.S. capital markets uh, for further future rounds uh, can be very useful. Is that the case, or um, have you found uh, connections to or through U.S.-based uh, investors useful for your guys' growth? Hundred percent, and I think it's almost those fortuitous conversations that one has that you take for granted. Um, and I think about. So our series C or even B, you know, bringing on board Microsoft. And I mean, it was literally through um, a connection to someone who we knew in the US. And it's easy to think like, you know, when you're a big business that it's saying like, look, obviously people knew that you existed and you were out there, but it's, it was one takes for granted the fortuitous nature of an introduction of something knowing of, knowing of your business yeah. and able to connect the dots. And so hundred percent agree with you there. It's, it's the virtual water cooler, right? Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for that. Um, any any thoughts from you, Falgu, on um, international expansion um, and uh, how investors uh, perceive um, your company? Yeah. Again, just to you know, go back to Paystack's journey as well, being the first Nigerian YC company, and then you know, in the last five years, we've had a further like twenty seven Nigerian companies, and I think fifty odd like African companies go through YC and more often than not, specifically for that reason that you mentioned, Jim, it's for that connectivity to either businesses like Stripe, who, you know, have been successful to scale in the US or, or Europe or other markets um, that African founders can learn from, um, but also access to, to VC money. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to some founders now in, in Kenya and to Toyin's point, who are building e-commerce businesses and want an investor who has been through the full cycle um, from, you know, startup to growth, to exit, um, to be part of that journey with them. And so, you know, if you look at India and China 10 years ago, this is where they started, um, right? And they've become very 
entrenched in and developed in their own right as local VC markets. And we see Southeast Asia, Latin America, and now Africa also following that trend. And connectivity to U.S. capital has always been quite critical uh, mm-hmm. as part of that journey. Yeah, I mean, I, to a great extent, that's that's our raison d'etre as untapped as a company. Our, our our goal really is to make those connections, create that bridge, both uh, in an informal way as that informal water cooler, but also um, to formalize it in programs like um, you know the the Cape Town showcase that uh, I met you at Cape Melvin, to really get people in the same room and, and start talking. Great. Well, thank you for all those answers. Um, I'd like to open it up to the audience for comments and questions as well. And uh, we have, so if, for those of you in the audience, uh, if you do have a comment or a question you'd like to ask one of the speakers, please raise your hand and we'll bring you on stage. We have uh, Jeffrey uh, already on. Welcome back, Jeffrey. Uh, thank you so much, Jim. Uh, nice to see you again. Uh, it, this was an amazing discussion and I love how you guys have really tackled the skill um, question because I think it's really difficult to scale in Africa, um, considering the fact that these are 54 different countries and you're competing with startups that are in, you know, one large market with only one regulator to work with, or, you know, um, um, uh, and, and basically a much larger um, ecosystem um, to benefit from. Um, my contribution and really question would come from um, which ecosystems we are to benchmark off of. Um, I've noticed that um, most of the soft, uh, software-driven startups have uh, benchmarked off of a lot of Silicon Valley startups. Uh, and I mean, their solutions work um, pretty well. And also some acquisitions are coming from that side. Um, uh, in, in the case of, um, in the case of um, uh, Stripe, but uh, you're also looking at um, uh, places like Asia, where there are a lot of similar businesses. I mean, it's a more developing world um, uh, type of situation. And you're also seeing a lot of um, pretty much the same problems uh, and uh, in, from a regulatory and also um, ecosystem uh, point of view, Africa and Asia, are, uh, some parts of Asia are pretty much in the same uh, situation. And I would say from experienced founders or African tech giants on this platform, which markets would you benchmark off of when building a startup? Because Africa's ecosystem is still young. There's not that many success stories and that many um, people to basically, um, whose shoes you can walk in. Um, So even in the case of investors, I've had experiences where when I talk to African investors, uh, and also Asian investors, they understand my business, which is pretty much a phone charging and a mobile device charging startup. Um, uh, they understand my business much better than when I talk to Silicon Valley based investors. No offense to you, Jim. Um, uh, you've been on the continent. So you I'm have used some to being experience. offended. <laughs> yes, but when I talk to Western investors, it's much harder to drive the point home because they don't fit in. I mean, they don't really understand the concept as much as someone who's been on the continent or who has been in the developing world um, a lot more. So my question is basically on which markets to benchmark off of and um, uh, how to navigate the whole, um, um, uh, the whole uh, dilemma of you know, where to draw your inspiration from and yeah. Great question. Yeah. Um, internationalization, where to go and uh, the kind of investors who'd like to take that on. Melvin Toyin? Toyin? I, I would Pardon? say, I think, you know, you've kind of already answered it, right? You know, you've got to draw your aspiration from the markets that make the most you know, sense to you, you know, it's this whole thing about trying to build, I put in my mind as to trying to build level four businesses when your country's on level one, right? You're, you're trying to build something that is, that 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 you know other countries have what we're trying to build here other countries have solved for it 10 15 years ago um and so you know yes we have obviously the pure um you know we have sort of the pure reference point we can look at them Right, we can see what they did wrong and just skip those steps. But at the end of the day, when I'm benchmarking myself, I'm looking at the Middle East, I'm looking at Asia, I'm looking at the economies that are more similar to us, because there's just no point in um, 
in in at least specifically for my product there's no point in directly trying to um align ourselves with an economy that is you know just just like yeah well not like years but significantly ahead of us so that's that's what i would say to that we we look to the markets that were were more closely aligned to it too um and i think it actually really helps in trying to learn the lessons um that we need to learn for where we are as a business and did, uh, before we go over to Falgu, because I'd love to yeah. hear from you, Falgu, um, you know, love to, I see a lot of um, um, transference of business models to, you know, between Africa and um, Brazil, for example, um, but I don't see as much going between Asia and Africa. Am I just not looking or is it happening and it's just more under the radar? What, what's your guys' experience? Interesting one, and I mean, just some thoughts. I mean, I, I did a fair bit of work um, in China, mainland China, for my post, for my for my my grad school and time thereafter. And I don't think it's Asia and Africa. I just think it's Asia and anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the dynamics and the cultural norms in Asia are different. That being said, though, something I always reflect on: spending lots of time in China and thinking about Weishu or WeChat and how it came to rise and how some of the most used features in let's say a WhatsApp were ones that were in WeChat a long time ago, like voice notes, that kind of stuff. And so I wonder if they're ahead of us, but I think it's almost a slow drip in terms of that cross-pollination. But I do find that Asia to some extent is unique in, 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 in its way. Gotcha. Well, certainly China. But yeah. uh, I would say South, Southeast Asia, and even South Asia, there's um, you know, some more economic development similarities. Um, very interesting. Uh, Falgu, your thoughts? Yeah, I um I completely agree. And and Jeffrey, it's good that you're kind of thinking about you know the, the benchmarks. I think they exist everywhere and it just depends on the business model that you're trying to build. Jim, you alluded to Brazil. Um Brazil in the fintech side of things, you know, from a gap in the market perspective, have the world's highest kind of consumer lending rates um out of their banking sector. And so there's been a huge opportunity there entrepreneurs to tackle that and that's similar in some countries in Africa too so you can get inspiration from the new banks from the credit houses who have become billion dollar businesses in Brazil um, and how does that translate to to an African market in particular and then similarly on the logistics side where you know logistics in Indonesia is probably as broken as it is in some parts of Africa too what Gojek and Grab have been able to achieve there is not something that will be successful in the US, right? So entrepreneurs are talking to each other across those lines of what's broken in our market, what similar things are broken in our markets from an infrastructure perspective, whether it's payments, logistics, regulation, um, and what lessons can we draw on that? Uh, Both from a business model perspective, but also a scaling perspective, like user habits uh, in Mexico and the Philippines are (laughs) quite similar in some senses. Um, and some of the VCs that, that I've been interacting with are, are, are globally focused now from an emerging markets perspective, simply to allow entrepreneurs across those markets to just talk to each other and connect in a way that they cannot do with Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. Having said that, I still think that bulk of the capital to Jim's earlier point sits in the US. And so that connectivity from a, a, a capital and scale perspective is, is still important. But the conversations between the entrepreneurs are happening happening more locally. Yeah, I mean, coming from my perspective as an investor here in the U.S., you know, there's there's so much capital here, uh, and ultimately it comes down to supply and demand. You have a lot of overvalued companies, and while the 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 upside is still uh, massive here in the U.S., uh, I prefer to look for opportunities in markets like those in Africa and potentially Asia because. Um, of that supply and demand. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, by connecting more and creating this critical mass globally, so that uh, as you guys alluded to earlier, there are more connections in between, let's see the Southeast Asian com- uh, companies with African companies, with the uh, Latin American companies that we can create some of that critical mass outside of the US market, but then ultimately connect the capital in the US to those markets. Um, great. Well, thank you very much for that question, Jeffrey, and for the answers. We have uh, Raj Kulasingham. Uh, welcome, Raj. Welcome back. Glad to hey, have Jim. You. Hey, Jim. Good to be here. I'm, uh, I don't know whether you've heard of the Clapham Omnibus or not, but I'm on one of those right now. So uh, if you hear some background noise, that's because I'm on a Clapham Omnibus. 
And if you don't know what that is, I'll tell you about it another time. My, my, my question is, um, I was just listening to something the other day and they were talking about how in the US, the reason, one of the reasons that so much the market is so good for startups is because of the sheer m and activity for, from these big um, companies like Google and Apple and all the rest of it. I think something amazing like Google did one deal a week uh, every for the last five years and they bought up companies and so that's obviously not happening or it isn't there today in Africa. And my, my question, and I know you've got someone on Paystack, Stripe bought Paystack, where's the M&A activity in, in Africa going to come from and what is what, what are we all investing? Where, where are the exits going to come from? And I know this is a subject that what worries me a lot because I think there's a lot of excitement about the market, but I, I still haven't figured out where the exits are. That's a, that's a great one. You just don't want to know where to invest, Raj. Okay, I get it. Um, <laughs> so uh, who would like to tackle that question? Um, happy to share some thoughts, but Raj, if looking to invest, I've heard of this amazing company called Baby Bliss, um, which, which hasn't been yes. yet acquired, and so it could be a good <laughs> play there. Um, but no, look, I mean, ultimately, look, the question of exits is one which any investor wants to know. And I think if you're an early stage investor, I think to some extent, you probably have a clearer path to exit more better than you think. Um, and only because I think to one of the points that you mentioned earlier, where what you see in my experience, and I've invested in a few, I guess, companies in the ecosystem as well from an early stage perspective is they'll typically in early stage trade at lower valuations, typically it's local investors, you know, angels and so forth, even local VCs. And as soon as that particular company then gets attraction of, uh, gets the eye of the international, let's say US or developed market VC, you then see almost a, a re-rate or rating of the valuation. And there are many opportunities to exit in the secondaries from that perspective. Now that's obviously in the mindset of someone who was an early and you may want to exit, get some money off the table. That being said, even a bit later on um, or further along in the journey, I think there is greater liquidity now. Um, and I think the reality is it's almost backing the jockeys who you feel can build global businesses. And I think that's gonna be the key thing because ultimately you won't get the size of exit you require to, to, to get your real return, unless you're going to build something beyond just your local market, as an example. And so what you do find is, yes, um, you can list, but the listing markets are, 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 are a bit choppy right now. But definitely what you'll see is more of the pay stack equivalents, where you're seeing large, successful international companies looking to expand in Africa and don't want to pay the school fees, see they have strong teams on the ground and would rather go to acquisition. And I think this is where Jim's point again comes to the fore around even that connection um, across the ecosystem. And yes, Paystack was probably more through the wire combinator ecosystem with Stripe, but I think that's where one will see their value over and above, let's say, a listing as an exit. Hey, hey, that's that's great. I have a I have a follow-on question about the early exit point. Jim, you and I've talked about this a lot. I like early. I, I'm I'm an early investor. I like to have exits. If I can, I'd like to have a baked in exit right. And Personally, Raj, I like big early exits, but that's just my <laughs> Yeah, big and baked in. So big and baked in. That's both, both. Let's have both, okay? So my, my question is, this exit right um, is something that, you know, I've been toying with for the last four or five years, and it has received favorable, some, some you know, some traction in some places. And a lot of places have people say, no, no, you can't have it. And... And I want to have a discussion around what entrepreneurs see about this, because I think the ability to recycle capital for someone like me is really critical. And I think for being able to back you at an early stage, you should get me off the bus when I want to get off the bus and not keep me on my clapper moment bus, which I still am on um, for 10 years. So I'd love to talk about that. And one of the things that Jim, you and I talked about and you know I've developed is this idea of an exit agreement where you can actually say to an entrepreneur, Look, I'll back you, I'll give you early money, but I want to get off the bus at series A or series B or whatever. Would anyone like to address that um, that question comment? Um, so yeah, look, I, I haven't come across it in, in, in my rounds, but I guess so to be fair, I was dealing with more um, international investors and they weren't and they were and they were on for the ride. I mean, our first round was a YC safe. Um, and then thereafter, it's been, it's been fairly stock standard. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to, you know, willing buyer, willing seller, what someone's willing to tolerate. And so an entrepreneur can say, yes, against my common stock, you get a pref and therefore you have the right to exit. I think the challenge often comes is if there are other 
let's call it professional investors or other investors in, in front of you and those who come in after you, who will then squeeze those terms out of the way or just, um, you know, uh, to try and minimize the, the actual um, securities in your actual class of shares. And so I think it actually can make sense. And also you'll be surprised, you know, as an entrepreneur goes on their journey and their scale, they actually do want to clean up their cap tables. And so I think if one positions it that way, saying like, look, we know that, look, the value add we can give is between seed and series A. Series C, we're just going to be on the right. We're going to be too small and diluted. I think that can be more acceptable given the context in which it's given, um, as opposed to being like, well, look, you got to series B. Oof, I didn't think you'd make it there. I'll take my money and run, as opposed to saying for the next phase of growth, you know, happy to go along. So I think there could be some traction there. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for that, Melvin. Um... Toyin, uh, Falgu, any comments? Can no, just... I, yeah, sorry, go on, Falgu. Go. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I agree with Melvin. I don't think, you know, I, I, I don't think that the entrepreneur is sort of looking at you and trying to like, you know, I guess hold on to you for longer than you need to be held on to. So, you know, yes, I think it depends on sort of the way the agreements are phrased, um, uh, but it does make sense, you know, obviously giving your position and giving sort of the way you invest that you want to get out um, sooner rather than later. Um, I think that the, a lot of the businesses that we're building, um, we, you know, will end up getting sort of the exits in from the kind of companies that you've mentioned, because, you know, why is uh, Google, you know, able to invest in a startup in Silicon Valley and not one in Nigeria, right? Um, it's, it's really just a matter of focus. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of just familiarizing them familiarizing themselves with the ecosystem um it's a matter of sort of where we're going um so so i think it's, it's just a matter of time before we start seeing all those kind of um you know activity going on that you want to see around okay so if i if i come to you and i say i'm going to invest in your next startup and i want an exit agreement you're going to give it to me right depending on how you <laughs> phrase it you see that's the, it's all about the fine prints right it's all about it's, 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 a, it's all about the fine print but in theory yes can i just because, give you advice i would i would stop it raj is a lawyer i don't know if you want to oh, i don't want to talk about fine print anywhere near him then thank you for giving me thank you for giving giving me that but you see you look about it the other way around right you want to exit yes you want to exit quickly but that that being said you know we, we we kind of had the joke about it that you know people say oh i saw facebook or i exited you always see those you know those monologues on linkedin about how i exited way too early from this investment and now the company is worth you know zillion times worth you know my whatever that percentage was so it's always uh there are two sides to the coin i'd say yeah indeed and, and you know i think this is a, a yeah obviously uh, getting in early and getting out early is a, a very viable investment thesis uh, especially for smaller tickets and spreading risk around um, but, you know, I think the big elephant in the room really is this question about the, the, the larger exits. And I would argue that um, it works in the U.S. and it works in U.S. tech because there is a very active IPO market, right? And ultimately, you are uh, the VCs, the startups, everybody's benching up to get to IPO. Even the, the larger guys, um, uh, not necessarily Facebook um, and Google, but even they are adding to their pile um, so that they can increase their, their, their public share prices. Um, or if you're a smaller company, um, going IPO with, uh, with the right revenues. So without that kind of consolidated public market in place or the ability to sell into one, which is again, going back to what I mentioned earlier about taking African companies and getting them into the US financial markets. Without that, I think it's really tricky. I think uh, exits can be very challenging for larger companies unless you have the uh, strategic uh, trade sales lined up well in advance. And those are hard, you know, uh, um, pay stack notwithstanding, They're, they don't happen that often. And, and even the economics aren't quite as good as going IPO. It's a waste my Jim, two cents. Could I add something? Yes, please. Um, I once, I listened to someone, I think from Founders Factory Africa, Ali last ah, year, I guess. Well, you just and queued up Rajiv saying, very well then. <laughs> He's next on the list for <laughs> question. Yes. Um, and he he said that, oh, actually it was Rajiv, I think. Oh. Um, he said that instead of looking for, um, instead of looking for unicorns, which are fictional animals um, uh, to basically model our startups around, 
we should look for much more realistic African animals and building um, gazelles, which are startups that are valued at around, I think, $100 million and generating about 20 to $50 million in revenue. So not looking at the exit um, plan of you know, Silicon Valley type startups, but looking at running or building more profitable startups that can um, generate revenue over a long period of time, which is what most of the multinationals and corporates in Africa are actually doing currently. You know, this whole gazelle, zebra, unicorn discussion. Camels I, as well. Know, <laughs> exactly. Antelopes. You know, I, what, what I think is interesting is um, we should just get down to what we're really talking about, which is the outsized IPO returns that you get from going from a you know, $6 pre-money valuation to a $30 billion or $50 billion valuation. Those exist in, in the US and uh, they're, they're actually quite common. Um, and, those, and that drives, and that phenomenon, I should say, drives the behavior of most VC firms. That drives the economics of most VC investing. But if you cut and paste that model into Africa, you're missing the opportunity, right? You, 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 don't, you don't have that, but it doesn't mean that the markets don't work in Africa. You just have to adapt your investing style to how things, what the opportunities are. And so I would argue that there are a lot more companies out there that are, whether you wanna call them gazelles, antelopes, or whatever it is, um, there are a lot more companies out there that maybe won't get the 300X or 1000X returns. But you know what? They're going to generate returns faster and more consistently and uh, in a way that scales uh, very, very well um, uh, without going to the IPO markets. You know, what we're trying to do with SMEs and funding SMEs is, is a good example of that. So I think uh, people need to think differently about how to invest in different markets and not just cut and paste. In the same way that if you just cut and paste the, UC, the VC model from the US to China, that, that really wouldn't have worked if you just did it um, without thinking and understanding the Chinese market. Same thing with Africa. You really need to understand the African market before you can invest. Anyway, my two cents before I pass it on to the experts. But Rajiv, uh, did, were you misquoted? Uh, is there another animal we're missing? <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks, Jim. I just want to check. Can you hear me? Okay. We can hear you perfectly. Okay, fantastic. Jeffrey, I don't think I've ever had a more natural uh, introduction in my life for two reasons, because you've referenced me, but you've also teed up the question that I wanted to ask. So I'm going to follow on from that, uh, talking about IPOs and those sorts of things. And I, I, I want to touch on it, not necessarily from the perspective of exits, but more, you know, bringing it back uh, to, to, to the focal point of this discussion, which is as you're building businesses. So, so just removing ourselves from exits for a second. And the, the question sorry, I have is around this. Concept. We're only talking about making money here. We're not talking about anything else. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Am I, am I in, the wrong, uh, in, in the wrong clubhouse chat? Go ahead. I've, <laughs> uh, so, 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 so the question that I have, or, or rather the very quick qualifier, so I don't want to make this a, a long drawn out statement, is around the concept of, of customer acquisition costs. So the, the, the statement I'm going to throw out is something that I think we've all heard many, many times over the last couple of years, which is in this particular market, we don't have the consumer market, the consumer purchasing power to build B2C businesses, which is ultimately what you need in order to get to the scale for, for IPOs, right? Uh, so, so the investor narrative has more often than not been, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable in this particular market looking at B2B models. So I'm going to very, in, in a cheeky way, since we've got three, three speakers, I'm going to ask three very quick questions. And so maybe for, for Melvin, uh, A, is, is this notion of Africa is not, is not yet capable of delivering scale for B2B, sorry, for B2C models, because we don't have the consumer market. So if you're going to build a scalable startup, you've got to build a B2B uh, or potentially B2B2C business. Uh, is, does that narrative still hold? The second or part B, maybe for, for uh, Toyen, is within the context of a, of a VC timeline, what we find is that if you can't build a B2C business, you've got to go B2B. 
The problem we have or that we see in our portfolio is that the sales cycles for many corporates in the African context is so long that you don't generate the traction you need to get that B2B uh, sort of customer growth that you need to fit within a VC uh, timeline. So, you know, that, that poses a bit, of a, a bit of a constraint. So you can't, you can't necessarily grow more organically because you're, you're trying to fit within a, a VC timeline. So where, what, what do you do? On the one hand, you can't build B2C because there's no consumer market. On the other hand, sales cycles are just too long for B2B models. And then the, the, the third part is, uh, I think for Falgu, some of the companies that we're now seeing that have that scale, like a Paystack, Flutterwave, are now starting to build the blueprint to scale into other markets for startups to follow. So the question to you is, is that a blessing or, or is that a curse? Because it, it, it creates this sort of uh, unnecessary pressure. I think what's really cool is that I don't necessarily have to follow uh, a, a, a corporate partner into their markets for distribution channels, I can, I can now use a new strategy, which is let me follow a pay stack. Uh, but, but how do you view that? So I'm happy to kick it off. Um, and I don't do one that answers the question and, and drops the mics and exits left. Um, but I made to drop off in like five minutes or so. But to jump to your question, I would argue that the consumer markets, I mean, I think of my days as a management consultant with BCG. The consumer markets are very active in Africa. I just think the question is to your point around cost of acquiring a customer versus lifetime value. And I think where the onus comes on the entrepreneurs is say, are you thinking about your actual money to the point where we're in this room? I'm thinking about your money up front. I think you can invest a lot into cons building consumer brands, consumer businesses, but I'd argue that definitely from a B2C tech perspective, Africa is a good play. I'd even so look, our business is mostly B2B or B2C or B2B2C. And the reality is I would argue that it's harder to do B2B on the continent now than it is um, elsewhere in the world, only because of the maturity, buying software, all that good stuff. I think B2C is where the feature is on the continent, if I'm honest, but I definitely think it's possible. Yeah, I'm just going to come on the back of that. I think for me, what is absent is um, what I, I sort of like to think about as a primed consumer market. The consumer market is there. You know, Paystack won't be generating, you know, the, you know, when you think about it, they're a payment company, right? So they're doing payments off the back of some sort of activity. So that ex activity exists. Um, what, it, what, what, what the issue I think is, is that it's not necessarily formalized. It's not, um, it, it's just not a standard um, as, um, you would compare with the US or sort of any other developed market, but but it's clearly there. For us, you know, it's a huge market. Um, and so so what the challenge really is, is trying to think about ways to formalize the market, to change consumer behavior from what is the norm to what actually could serve our business. And then also to think beyond, I think we don't have the luxury to choose sort of one thing and say that we're offering one thing to the consumer. We've got to and we, we don't even have the luxury to dictate that, what that one thing is. We basically, you know, are in this process as a business of getting to know our mothers and our, our you know, sort of the market that we serve and really looking at where they're, um, you know, where, where they're most likely or where is the most, where is the most, um, the, the warmest um, sort of path, path to, um, you know, acquiring them and just following them in that way. So um, I think that it's it's yeah it's you know for us B two B is not is not the is not the market we serve it's B two it's it's a B two B B two C space. What we're doing as a business is just looking for opportunities sort of beyond the just one thing. So our big we've, we've sort of just launched a, a big push into sort of the services space. So we traditionally focused on products and now we're offering services again to sort of maximize the lifetime value out of the customers. But again, I think we're, we're in this exciting place where, you know, the, the, the market is changing rapidly. Um, you know, five years ago, you know, I'm a big fan of Paystack because, you know, they allow me to indulge my e-commerce habits, you know, to the, to, to, to the wildest. But, you know, five years ago, we didn't have the kind of businesses that we have. We didn't have the ease of doing business. We didn't have the ability to just sit somewhere. Um, you know, Jumia did not exist 10 years ago, and I'm surprised they haven't even come up in this call at all. Um, but there's just so much um, growth that is happening. And so it's really for investors that are interested in, in waiting that out. It's, it's, it's not going to be a US Silicon Valley story, um, but, but it's not realistic to sort of align us um, against that standard. But that's, that's me. Over to you, Fargo. 
Yeah, thanks. And just to run off the back of that, when we talk about, you know, scaling to other markets, I mean, to Toyin's point, Paystack now, what we're pulling through our platform every month is almost 10 times what the entire country of Nigeria was doing online when we started Paystack wow. in 2016, 10 right? times. So that just, and that's just, we're just one, one of the, the many where, you know, if you put us and Flutterwave together, you can only imagine what that, that number looks like. Um, and so I don't, I, I see like our, our product is essentially an infrastructure layer. And if we take that to Kenya, if we take that to Egypt, if we take it to other places, um, our customers are coming with us. And this is one of the reasons that Stripe acquired us, right? Um, their customers want access to the African market. Uh, Netflix, Spotify, everyone wants to access the African consumer. And, and so, you know, like to Toyin's point, it, it, the, it's there, the demand is there, and we're just enabling the access to it. Very interesting. Thank you very much for that, um, Falgu and Toyin. Um, Melvin had to jump off for an urgent call, but uh, I wanted to go to the next uh, person. And gosh, it's Tayo. Now, talking about small world and um, creating critical mass, Tayo and I met each other in, what was it, 2004? in Abuja, Nigeria, drinking um, uh, Sunday drinks at the pool at the Hilton in Abuja. So it's great to see you in the ecosystem after more than 20 years, or not more not 20 years, more than 10 years. Um, Tayo, I'd love to come on the stage and, and I'd love to hear your question comment. Thanks so much, Jim, uh, for the introduction. Yeah, it's 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 definitely great to to see you here and 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 to participate in these really informative conversations. And I've very much enjoyed this one. Really appreciated Rajiv's questions. And so mine is um, kind of a piggyback on your comment, Jim, about cutting and pasting. Um, because whether you're aiming for unicorns or antelopes or something else. Uh, the goal kind of informs how the incentives align. And so whether you believe, and it, it's been really interesting to hear those who have been making credible cases for uh, consumer markets, but um, from the LP perspective, um, whether you believe that the consumer markets are not well-developed or not uh, enough, or, you, or you, you do or you don't believe that, if you don't, believe that. I guess my question is, um, if you are a GP, um, how do you not cut and paste if the models that LPs are buying uh -huh. follow a logic uh -huh. that you don't, you don't subscribe to? Because I think there are GPs who have different perspectives on this. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't know how easy it is to sell contrary logic. Uh, to LPs. And then oh. the other thing I'd like to add very quickly is that something I've been thinking, of, thinking about more recently and don't really understand very well is the factors that enable consumption. So if the markets are there, you know, what things need to be in place, FinTech, I think you can have a long conversation about that, um, need to be in place to, to truly unlock those markets. Thank you. That's a, that's a great one. I think you really hit the crux of it, which is uh, when the GPs when the GPs have to um, sell something to LPs that don't understand the market, what happens? Well, we, we kind of know what happens. And um, I think the the interesting thing is that there is a process of education. And I, I think one of the reasons we do these forums and bring people to places like Cape Town and to, to just um, explore the market in general is, is a very slow process of uh, LP education, uh, or I shouldn't say education, that's, that's somewhat um, uh, arrogant, but at least uh, awareness building about the differences between the different markets. And so um, I think that's really the crux of the problem. And one way to resolve it is let's have more local LPs. Let's get more local investors or investors who understand the African market, the local markets become investors in some of the funds, not just have international money come in. I mean, to a great extent, the way I see it at least, it's just another form of neocolonialism. And so let's, let's fix that. Let's figure out how to uh, get better informed investors, more local investors, and bring people closer together. I'm sure others have, uh, Toyin, um, Raj, Falgu, Rajiv, love to hear your comments. Well, Jim, you know, you know, Vishal and I, who are investing, always investing with, we have this thing, right? That if you if you don't see local investment at the cap table, then there's something wrong with the startup because 
local investors are the ones that are going to make the difference in the early stage, especially. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that we're trying to do in a small way is to sort of galvanize local investors in the, the jurisdictions that we're, we're familiar with, you know, which is Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, to say to people who are um, potential angels to say, look, there's a nascent, uh, nascent asset class. Um, there's a lot of interesting things happening. You can actually add value. Why don't you come and join us on our journey? So I think if, if more people did that, I think you'd find because a lot of people are just afraid of jumping in, right? So if you had people who, who can say, look, understand the risks, but we've been there, we've got the scars, come with us. You might make some money, you might lose some money, but you'll learn a lot and have some fun. I think uh, Raj Go ahead, please. I was just going to say, I think Rajiv and I had this conversation maybe about a year ago. Um, but there are, and, and to Raj's point, I think there are more kind of operator syndicates that are emerging that do kind of bring credibility, that stamp of approval to building out um, you know, a meaningful check at the earlier stages. Um, and that demonstrates kind of local appetite for deals. I think the gap really on the local stages between the A and B when founders are looking for the $5 million checks before, you know, the yeah. Tiger Globals and SoftBanks kind of come in. Um, but I think, you know, to your point, even mobilizing local institutional money, um, I think it's going to be a kind of decade long exercise, but something hopefully that, you know, we'll begin to see in markets like South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, where there is good pension money available. It's just not being allocated to any kind of private equity class, asset class at the moment. Yeah, I think I think just piggybacking on 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 that and something potentially provocative. I think that the, the general narrative, again, just listening mostly to GPs, is that well, the LPs don't understand the local context. My view is that if you're an LP sitting in London, for example, and you're talking to most of the African GPs that have raised funds because they're all coming to you looking for follow-on uh, funding or, or, or raising new funds. Uh, you have a pretty good understanding because everyone is telling you what their thesis is. I think you've got a pretty good understanding of the market. You're just not as bullish about the, the ability to generate VC returns in one market. I've got, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who is an LP at a DFI that we all know. And, and, and she says, my mandate is to look at two markets, the African market and India. And every GP I speak to in the African context is telling me a story that I know is not true. And so I choose to put my focus more on, on, on the Indian GPs uh, at, as a market. Um, I think what we do need to work on as far as education is concerned is the, the local institutional pools of capital that need to get comfortable around the risk appetite that it takes to increase investment in this asset class. So I, I, I don't, I, I think the problem of offshore LPs not understanding the market is more of an excuse. Uh, I think we need to focus more on building local institutional LP risk appetite, not understanding of the market. Yeah, oh indeed. Well, thank you very much, uh, Rajiv and Tayo for uh, the question comments um, and the answers, everybody. We're past the top of the hour. I do want to thank everybody for joining us uh, this week, <coughs> this month. And please, we'd love to hear from you on new ideas for what we should be talking about and who we should be talking with. And to do that, please join our WhatsApp group. You can go to our website, untap-global.com, and click on Engage to access and join the WhatsApp community. Um, and, um, and I'd love to hear your feedback. And with that, thanks, everybody, for joining this week. And hopefully, we'll see you next month. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for Thank joining. You. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. See you next month. Chat later. <laughs>